for that. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Uh, and while you're turning there, I, there was an announcement I meant to make this morning, and I forgot. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, uh, next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing uh, Jonathan Hoover. He was not here this morning because they are sick, uh, but they are moving, and that, that is going to be their last Sunday with us. And he asked if, if, uh, if at all possible, he wanted to get baptized here at Grace, and. So uh, I told him we'd be happy to do that for him. So if you need to get baptized, and uh, I, I just talk to me, and we can do it next week if you want to. I just need you to talk to me so that we know, uh, <clears throat> other than Jonathan. But uh, he's he uh, they're moving to Montana, and um, he took a job up at a up, up at a mine up in Montana. Uh, so if you would be praying for them, I'm sure. Uh, that they would appreciate that very much. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 4. I read some interesting statistics this week, and those of you that know me know I love statistics. That's, I, that's how I learn. I'm a visual learner kind of guy. And uh, <clears throat> Spending habits of young married couples with, with children, uh, both spouses, 18 to 25, average... Uh, uh, after-tax income of $19,783. Average annual spending with that same category is $21,401. In other words, they're spending 8% more than they make. Personal debt in the U.S. is increasing at a rate of $1,000 per second. Okay, think about that one for a second. Well, no, don't do that. It'll cost you $1,000. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and consumer uh, installment debt has mushroomed to the point <clears throat> where it takes approximately $1 out of every four that a consumer earns after taxes to keep up payments. So the average American right now, $1 out of every four that they make goes to paying back debt. And that is not including your home mortgage. For over 250,000 Americans, the burden of debt is so great that he or she or they uh, declare bankruptcy. There are even more serious consequences to financial uh, tension created by debt. And this is a statistic that I, 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 it, it's staggering, but it's very true. 56%, 56% of divorces are a result of financial tension in the home. That's an incredible, an incredible number. Debt can be suffocating. Uh, when Melanie and I were first married, back, uh, what, 200 years ago? Uh, it seems like it sometimes. Huh? Uh, no, seriously, right after we got, we got married, we swallowed the lie that you need to earn credit. Uh, and <clears throat> yeah, Chris, yeah, that, that's a lie. Yeah, 
a dumb lie. Um, anyway, we, we got in debt pretty fast. And it, it was an incredible burden on our relationship. You're thinking, what has this got to do with 1 Kings chapter 4? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you. 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, last week we saw, excuse me, 2 Kings, 2 Kings. Did I say 1 Kings? I'm sorry, 2 Kings, 2 Kings. You should know what I'm thinking. That I'm supposed to in my house, right? <laughs> <laughs> Second Kings, Second Kings, uh, chapter four is where we're going to start. But in Second Kings chapter three last week, we saw God do a miracle by supplying water to the three armies that were uh, uh, attacking uh, Moab and the, the, the defeat of Moab. Uh, chapter four opens with an interesting story of a desperate woman. And it's, it's, I don't know, to me, I, I, I love it when the Bible changes directions just like that. So, for, you know, one chapter you have the, this, the, the, the three-nation army going against Moab and, and all that. And then the next thing you're talking about some widow woman. And, and it's just, and that's what we have here. So the, the, the title of my message is Relief from Debt. Relief from Debt. Second Kings... Chapter 4, let's start reading in verse 1. Now there uh, cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that he, thy servant, did fear the Lord. And the creditors, or the creditor has come to take uh, unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what, what hast thou in thy house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath uh, not anything in thy house save a pot of oil. Then, she, then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad and of all thy neighbors, even empty, empty vessels, and borrow not a few. But when thou uh, art come in, uh, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels and those uh, and, and thou shalt set aside <clears throat> that which is full. Uh, so she went from him and shut the door upon her and, and upon her sons and who brought the vessels to her and uh, she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet an, uh, a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you so very much for the word of God and the the promises set forth in the Word of God. And I want to thank you again for this time together as, as a church family. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts through your Word. Encourage us, strengthen us, uh, but more importantly, change us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
to me, <clears throat> it's obvious that this woman is under a lot of pressure. Uh, <clears throat> a woman in her situation it would be under uh, an incredible amount of pressure. Uh, here, she had lost her husband. Uh, as, as, you, as we read here in verse 1, <clears throat> her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. Uh, so that, that means, if you're, if you're wondering... Uh, he was either a either a seminary student or a, a priest uh, in 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 the uh, uh, tribe of Levi. But here she is raising two two boys in a culture that women were frowned upon, and <clears throat> so the burden that she carries she it's not like she can just go out and get a job. It's not like uh, here in the United States where uh, you, you know, it is an incredible burden for single moms, but uh, praise God, most of them can find good jobs and support their families. Uh, it wasn't like that uh, in that culture, and it, an incredible burden. And then you put the pressure of owing <clears throat> this this debt. Uh, and I, I just honestly, I cannot uh, imagine the, the, the pressure that she would be under. Uh, the first point tonight I want to look at is the woman, just very simply the woman. Let's look at verse 1 again. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elijah, saying, Thy, thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that, he, that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take it unto him my two sons to be bondsmen. She comes to Elijah and she announces that we don't know, we have no idea of knowing whether Elisha knew uh, about this man's death prior to, to his encountering his, 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 his widow. Um, <clears throat> but again, he was, he was probably in the ministry of some sort. And she testifies and she reminds Elisha that he was a man that feared God. He was a good man, a man that, that feared God. And, and <clears throat> then she makes a statement that kind of changes everything. And she announces that she's in debt. And that, <clears throat> that debt more than likely was incurred by her husband. Because back then, the way they treated women, uh, nobody would loan a woman money. And... <clears throat> So here you have uh, a, a situation that if, if she was alive today, uh, more than likely she would just claim bankruptcy, right? I mean, that's, that's what many people do today. But back then, that was not an option. I read a story again recently that, that I found very interesting. Henry Hines, <clears throat> born in 1844, to German immigrants in Pencil, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, helped support his family as a teenager by growing and selling vegetables in his family's garden. After graduating from college uh, and getting married, he started a business selling horseradish. In 1875, a national financial collapse drove the young man's company into bankruptcy. Despite the legal freedom bankruptcy gave him, Heinz regarded each of the company's outstanding debts as a moral obligation and, and personally paid back every penny. 
Heinz went on to start the the H.J. Uh, Heinz Company uh, with its uh, 57 varieties and became a leading American businessman, also a devoted Christian. He was known for uh, generous treatment of his employees and his generous Christi- uh, and his generosity to Christian causes. Throughout his life, Heinz uh, conducted his business and personal dealings with the same integrity that he led uh, that led him to pay back hundreds of thousands of dollars he technic- technically did not owe. He began. He he began uh, his uh, uh, he began his will with these words: "I desire to set forth at a very uh, beginning of this will as the most important item." in it as confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Here was a man who legally had no obligation to pay back any of his debts. But he understood in the fact that that, uh, he he was the one who incurred the debt. He He felt like he had the obligation to repay it. And I appreciate that, and I believe God honored him in the fact that he was able to uh, become a very wealthy man in in, his, in the in the in the new in business. Proverbs chapter twenty two verse one says, "A good man is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold." And I'll tell you what I I, I had uh, I I did not know uh, this about uh, Mr. Hines until uh, I read this this article. But I'll tell you what, I would rather uh, go through life having a good reputation than having one uh, of, a, of a skin flint. Uh, and and I, I just appreciate his testimony. Now, I want to say something tonight because <clears throat> this could get into uh, a little controversial um, uh, area, if you would. You have to understand that this woman was bound by a contract more than likely agreed to with her husband to either pay back the money that was loaned to them or servitude. And, and we, in our culture today, we, we hear that and we think, wow, that's, that's a bit drastic. And <clears throat> so... We need to understand in that culture, that was a perfectly acceptable and legal way to transact business. Okay, so the 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 person who made the loan did nothing inappropriate within the culture, within the legal system, or anything like that. Now I want to say this: <clears throat> in this particular story, who is at fault, the lender or the lendee? Okay, anybody? Anyone want to stick your necks out? Okay, it's the lendee. Okay, now, if, if, if I do something really stupid tomorrow, which I'm always likely to do, stupid things, and, and I go out and I get a car loan at, I don't know, 26% interest, which they're out there, by the way, who who would be at fault, me or the person who gave me the loan? 
I would be. Okay? And, and see, we, we live in a society that <clears throat> wants to tell us, oh, you're just a victim. You, 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 you are not really responsible because the, the person who gave you that loan ripped you off. So you don't, you, you know what I'm saying? The, the problem here is, and, and one of the things that I appreciate about the woman in the story is she never blames the person who, who made the loan. She never says that he's crooked or anything like that, but, he, but she, she simply lets Elisha know that she's in debt and she's in trouble. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, the, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Again, going back to a personal thing that <clears throat> we experienced. <clears throat> back many, many years ago, uh, I was driving truck for a living, and I hated driving truck. I was, you know, I, I was just done. I'd done I, had, I had driven truck for about six and a half years. And I wanted to start my own construction business, but I didn't have the capital. And one day I got a phone call from a friend, a, 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 Christian, a Christian brother, and he says, he says, Rick, I want to help you get your business started. I, I want to loan you the money to get started, which absolutely caught me off guard. And, and, and I took the loan and started my business and <clears throat> that loan became a sore spot between my, my friend and I. And <clears throat> I don't know, probably two years into the business, I, I don't remember how or why, but I remember reading this verse and thinking, I need to get out from under this loan because it had changed the relationship with my friend. And as soon as we could, we got out from under that loan, and praise God we did, and our, our friendship was survived it. Praise God for that. But there is an amazing thing that happens when money gets involved in friendship. And, and chances are some of you out there are going, uh-huh, I've been down that road and don't want to go down that road again. <clears throat> She had lost her husband. She was looking at the very prospect of literally losing her two sons for seven years to pay off the loan. I cannot imagine the grief that she was experiencing. Yes. In losing her sons to servitude, she would lose her way of getting. That's yes, yeah. She would. She would then. She would then be destitute. Because she she could not just go out and get a job, uh, you know. Uh, so it, yeah, it was it was a it was a huge a huge problem for this for this lady. But the wood but the widow woman here believed Elijah was a man of God, and I believe she she felt like he was going to be able to help her. We live in a world that is being crushed with burdens, do we not? Uh, 
Many, many homes in America today literally live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, that's why back in, what was it, 2008, uh, there were so many foreclosed homes across America because just one little hiccup in the economy just sent people straight into bankruptcy. Proverbs chapter 34, verse 6, <clears throat> This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. Psalm chapter 34, verses 17 and 19. Now, oh, well, let me go back to 34, uh, uh, 34, 6. Uh, who's the poor man? Anybody? David. King David. Okay, was, was, was David poor in a financial sense? No, he was the king. Verses 17 and 19. The righteous cry, and the, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth much as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflicted of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them all, uh, d- delivereth uh, him out of all of them all. <coughs> Here we have a promise that God will deliver us. But the problem in this story is this, the problem was generated by her husband. It was beyond her control. So let's look at Elijah. Elijah here, uh, point number two, Elijah. Look at verse two. And Elijah said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, uh, what hast thou in thine house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. <clears throat> now, I want to... Elijah starts by asking a question. Now, we do not have the answer to the question in Scripture. We can only assume what the answer is. The first question he asks her is, <clears throat> What do you want me to do for you? What, what is it that you want me to do? Now, we can assume that her answer was something along the line of, uh, I, I want to pay my debt. Uh, I, I want to keep my sons, and I want to be able to, to provide for my sons. We can assume that that's what is said. We don't know. But we, we can assume that because that is the, the, the progression of the story. And then he asks a second question. <clears throat> oh, verse 2, there it is. <laughs> what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in thine house? See, <clears throat> he does something here, very, very interesting. Um, he, in, in the process of, 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 um, of counseling, Oftentimes, I will ask people, what is it that you want from me? You know, because, and there's a couple reasons that we do that as counselors. Number one, we, we, as a counselor, I need to know exactly what they need. If, you know, if they, oftentimes it's like, hey, I just want you to listen to me. Okay, I can do that. Well, uh, and then, you know, you get times, well, I need this or I need that. Okay, well, now we're both on the same page. 
And there's something humbling that comes along with voicing our, our, our needs. It is probably pretty understandable that I, uh, 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 Elisha, when she came to him and explained the situation, he probably knew in his heart what she needed. Does that make sense? I mean, because if, if a widow woman comes up and says, look, hey, uh, my husband died, I'm in debt, my two sons are going to be taken away, it's kind of obvious that she needs some intervention. But he asked her to voice it, and, and, and it's, the understood answer is obviously there. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse, verse 8, <clears throat> it says, Be uh, not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. Now, <clears throat> I've had people read this verse and say, Pastor, does that mean that God knows every need that I have before I actually have the need? And I say, yes. Then I've had people say, well, then why do I need to pray? Think about that for a second. If God knows every need that we have, do we need to pray? Why? That, there you go. There is... There is something in the voicing of our needs that makes it even a little more real to us. But it, for, the, for, for God, <clears throat> you know, what is she saying? She says, I, I need my debt paid. I, I need to keep my sons. And like, like Angie said, if my sons are gone, I, I will probably die because she would have no means of, of income. But Elisha makes her say it. And then he asks her the second question. What do you have in your house of value? And you think, what's that got to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with it. Because <clears throat> it's easy when we are under pressure and things are kind of squeezing down on us, that we overstate sometimes the difficulties that we are in. In fact, if you read the text here, uh, in verse 3, uh, or excuse me, in verse 2, uh, about halfway through, and, and after he asked the question, what do you have in your house? And she said, thy handmaid hath not anything in thy house. And then an afterthought comes in. Oh, except a pot of oil. See, sometimes people are unwilling to use their existing resources. They want to hold on to them. Uh, uh, what would happen, what would have happened in John chapter 6 uh, if the little boy who brought his lunch to that meeting decided to hold on to his lunch instead of sharing it with Jesus so that he could multiply it and feed 5,000 people. Now, would he have been within his rights to say, hey, dude, this is my lunch. I'm not giving it away. Would he have been within his rights to do that? Absolutely. 
But what would have happened to the other, the, the 5,000 people? They would have gone hungry. And so often the idea here that, that, and I believe Elijah is trying to get across this woman is, hey, you know what? God can help, but you need to, you need to pour into this thing. It's, it's, it's got to cost you something. <coughs> Elijah then tells her to do three things. <clears throat> Look at uh, verse 3. And he said, Go, borrow the vessels abroad <clears throat> of all thy neighbors, uh, even empty vessels. Um, borrow not a few. So the first thing he tells her, to go borrow some vessels. Now, huh? Lots of vessels. He says, and borrow not a few. So, now, <clears throat> he tells her, what's going to happen with those empty vessels, unlike, well, well, no, that's not true either. But he tells her ahead of time. So she knows that God is going to use those empty vessels and the oil somehow in her life. And he tells her, when you get the vessels, take them into your house and close the door. <clears throat> what is he telling her? He's saying, the next thing he tells her is, you know, this, this is a private miracle. This is just for you and your sons. We're, we're, we're not, you know, this is, this is just for you. <clears throat> but he tells her not to, to get as many as he can. Now, if you don't get anything tonight, get this. Faith and obedience would be dictated, <clears throat> excuse me, would dictate her blessing. Okay, let me say that again. Faith and obedience would dictate her blessing. What do you think I mean by that? Hello? Anybody? Come on, talk to me. She, if she had enough vessels that she was still pouring today, the thing would still be pouring. See, her blessing was limited to the amount of faith that she had. Now, <clears throat> last week we talked about a very similar situation. What did, what did uh, Elisha tell the, 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 the three kings to do? He told them to go to a, to a valley and dig ditches. And the amount of ditches and the depth of the ditches we found out was accord was according to the blessings that they got. See, and so often we forget, we forget that our faith and our obedience will dictate our blessings in our lives. And here this woman, he tells her, go get a bunt, go go get as many empty vessels as you can. And don't get just a few, get as many as you can. And her, the blessing that God had in store for her was equal excuse me, to her faithfulness. Now, do you think that when she poured the last one and she tells her son in the story, okay, hand me another one, and he tells her, we are all out. Do you think the thought ran through her head, whoa, I should have went to the Joneses. I should have went to, you know, oh, I could have, oh, man, oh, you got to be kidding. We're out? 
And as soon as they run out, the oil stays. See, the blessing that God was getting ready to pour out on her and her two sons was a direct reflection of her faith and her obedience. Our lives are no different. The promises of God that were alive and well back then are still alive and well today. Now, it's not very likely that God's going to tell us to go borrow a bunch of empty vessels and he's going to fill them all with oil <coughs> for us. <coughs> Excuse me. But I can tell you, the power of God that did that then is the same power of God that can provide for us today. John chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. When they were filled... He said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, <clears throat> that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets uh, uh, with the fragments of the, the five barley loaves, and uh, which uh, remained uh, over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, uh, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth the, that that prophet should come into the world. In John chapter 6, a little boy is asked to forfeit his lunch so that others could eat. And because of his faith or his obedience, a miracle took place. A great miracle that even unsafe people in our world talk about today. All because of a, of, a, of a young boy's faith. This woman had opportunity. He told her, when you go, when you go get the oil or the empty vessels, don't get just a few, get as many as you can. And I can't help but wonder... I, I honestly, I can't help but wonder if there was the thought ran through her mind, oh, I could have went over here, I could have gotten this, I could have got that. We need to be so very careful whenever we are uh, <clears throat> dealing with the things of God that we are obedient and we're faithful to the promises of God. And then we see her obedience in verse 5 and 6. And she went from him and shut the door on, uh, upon her and, her and her sons and Brought them, uh, brought the vessels uh, to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessel was full, that she said unto her sons, "Bring me yet uh, a vessel." And he said unto her, "There is not a vessel more." And the oil stayed. Why? Well, I, I don't know if that is. A... Anyway, as I was thinking about this. Can you imagine the anxiety in her life when she took her little container of oil and the first empty jug and thought, oh boy, here we go. And, and, and it just kept pouring and pouring and pouring. 
I asked myself originally when I was reading through this, I wonder why God, uh, why Elijah asked, what, what do you have in your house? And, you know, it, it could have been peanut butter. I don't know what it, you know, but it, it could have been anything. God could have used anything. But here she was sitting on the cusp. Do I risk the last thing of value that I have? And there are times in our lives where God will get us to that point in our lives. And it's almost as though he says to us, how much do you really love me? How much are you willing to give for me? Are you willing to give your all? And as she sat there contemplating, I, I don't know about you, but I could, I could very easily picture myself struggling with do I pour it, do I not, what do I do? Well, we know she pours it. <clears throat> and we see that the containers are filled. God is as real today as he was then. Again, he's not going to tell us to go get empty vessels so that he can fill them with oil and all that. But I can't tell you how many times in my life and our lives that God has done the, 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 the miraculous in our lives. Where he's brought things into our lives and it's unexplainable. And the power of God that, that Elijah experienced and this widow experienced is the same God that we serve today. And then in closing, I want to talk about her excitement. Verse 7. And then she came and told the man of God, and uh, he said unto her, Go and sell the oil and pay, uh, pay thy debt and live thou and thy children uh, uh, of the rest. Now, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> I don't believe that she just kind of walked up to Elijah and said, oh, hey, uh, Elijah, by the way, uh, God just filled up 75 pitchers of oil. Isn't that cool? I, I, I don't think that's how she did it. Now, we're not told this, and, and you know, but <clears throat> I know my wife, if that was her, she'd have gotten up on top of the roof and yelled, Elijah, guess what God just did? Now, wouldn't you want to do that? I mean, you know, that, that's one of the reasons we have uh, testimony time on Sunday nights, so we can share the things that God does. And there have been times that God has done, done something in my life, and, and my thought, my first, the first thought is, man, I can't wait till Sunday night. I want to just share, just tell everybody what God's done. See, so, you know, there had to have been some excitement here, okay? Now, we don't know, obviously, <clears throat> but Elijah gives her two more instructions here in the last verse. The first one, he says, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. In other words, he says, before you do anything with that money, pay the debt. Before you buy food, before you pay rent, before you do anything, pay the debt. Why? Because he wanted that pressure off of her. 
Because now, all of a sudden, her sons do not have to go into servitude. And, and now, she, she can live a life relatively normal now. She's free. Her sons are free. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, I started thinking about the debt, the debt that we owe to an unsaved world. It says, I am a debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and the unwise. Paul understood his debt to a lost world. It's a heavy debt. The second thing he tells them, tells them to do is live thou and thy children on the rest. You know what? <clears throat> Pay the debt and then live on what's left over. It'll be enough. Obedience and faith result resulted in the paying of debt. Obedience and faith resulted in providing a living for them. Obedience and faith. We saw it in last week's story. We see it in this week's story. Obedience and faith. Second Corinthians chapter ten or chapter nine, verse ten. Now he, now he uh, uh, that minister, ministereth uh, seeth the, uh, the, the sower both minister bread uh, for their food and multiply uh, <clears throat> your seed uh, sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. What is the promise? If we will sow, we'll get back more than we sow. Okay, what can we take away from this story? You know, it's a simple story. It's, it's uh, you know, some people would say it's interesting, some maybe not. I don't know. But I take, I, there's three things that I've taken away from this story. Number one, God cares about me. You know, there is a lie. Uh, we, Melanie and I, uh, <clears throat> when we went to see Don Martin last, last week, we stopped in Sacramento and visited with a pastor friend of ours in Sacramento. I want to share something with you that he told us. <clears throat> he said uh, there's a, he has a friend who is a uh, a counselor uh, for pastors, okay? And and this man told him that 80% of the pastors that he deals with, he he will ask them this question, and 80% of them answer to the negative. This is the question every pastor that this counselor talks to. He asked him, do you believe that God loves you? 80% of the pastors he asked that question to say, no, I do not. You think about, you think, wait a minute, a pastor say that? See, what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to get us to believe a lie. The lie started in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said? Oh, did God really mean that? Oh, if God loved you, you wouldn't, you won't die. God loves you, you won't. Satan's greatest trick is to get us to believe a lie. And the fact that this, this woman, whose, whose husband, again, more than likely got themselves into trouble financially, dies and leaves her destitute 
do you think quite possibly she started thinking about, well, I wonder if God even cares. I can almost guarantee she thought that. If 80% of pastors in America today believe that God doesn't love them, absolutely I can believe that. God cares about your burdens. Every burden that you carry, he, he, he knows about. And all you got to do is go to him and ask. The second thing that we can take away from this is we should never hesitate to bring our burdens to God. Don't hesitate. And then finally, we must be willing to use our resources first. We need to be the ones that step out in faith and say, okay, God, Friday night, we were watching an old, an old, well, not super old, but an older movie called uh, um, uh, Facing the Giants. Y- y'all ever see that? Okay. And in that movie, uh, there's, a, there's an old guy that goes through the school and, and prays over all the students and all that stuff. Well, near the end of the movie, he, he, he encounters the coach and he tells him a story. He says, two farmers prayed and asked God to bring rain. They, they, they were in a drought. One farmer went out and prepared his fields. The other just stayed in the house and prayed. And he asked the coach, he says, he said, which one exercised the most faith? The one who went out and prepared the fields. And see, and that's kind of the picture here, is it not? See, God wants us to go and do, and then he'll come alongside and bring the necessary things to get us through our, our needs. But what he doesn't want us to do is to just sit back and do nothing. Are you willing to go out and plant the field? Prepare the field. Because there, there could be a time in your life right now that you, you think you may be thinking, man, this is a drought if there's ever been a drought. God wants you to be faithful and obedient. And when we are faithful and obedient, then he can do the rest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank